It is week number four, the final week of our series that we kicked off the new year with called All Things New. And so if you haven't been with us for the previous couple of weeks, I'm going to just quickly recap the series for you. And then if you have been with us every week and you forget what we talked about like I do often, then I will also recap it for you as well. But week number one, we kicked off this series and Brad walked us through this concept of all things new that comes from Revelation 21, where John is writing um, different letters to the seven churches and also the different tribes of Israel, but also uh, just citing down a vision that he's receiving from Jesus of what the kingdom of heaven is going to be as, you know, he can in human terms. And so he's writing and jotting things down. And then in Revelation 21, we have this powerful passage that talks about there will be no tears and the suffering will be eliminated because God is making all things new. And everything is new in his kingdom. New life, new creation, and the old is gone and the new has come. And it's actually a central theme that we see all throughout, not just the gospels, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well, as Jesus, as God is continuing to establish his kingdom and bringing and ushering in his kingdom down to earth. It's this newness that we continue to feel and see And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, as Brad talked about in week number one, that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. New relationship, new you was week number one. And then week number two, I walked us through how so often when we enter into our relationship and our walk with Christ, it can be so easy for us to allow our walk to become stale or stagnant. And what would it look like for us to recapture our awe of God, or maybe for the first time, capture our awe of God, because we serve an incredible creator, an incredible savior. And it's so cool when you allow yourself to dive deep into that awe-inspiring, the awesome God for who God is and for what God does. And the last week, week number three, Brad walked us through the concept of holiness. And holiness or holy literally means set apart when translated throughout scripture, to be set apart. And that if you are in Christ as a new creation, you are called to be set apart from the world. You're called to be different. There's something that has to change. And we recognize as Christians, as Christ followers, as disciples, that we do not do good works to receive salvation, but because we are saved, we do good works. And that if you are in Christ, if you are a new creation, if you are living for Jesus— that you are called to be set apart. Pursue a life of holiness, sanctified. And it can be really overwhelming as you think about what all that entails. And so at the end of the message, we just gave you the challenge. Say, hey, start small. Say, today I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to start my day with this. Well, today for week number four, I have the privilege of wrapping up our series, All Things New, walking through this concept of new purpose new purpose. And it's actually a question that I would argue every single individual, Christian, atheist, agnostic, uh, Muslim, Hindu, etc., the religions, the philosophies, psychiatry, everything, that if you are an individual, if you are a breathing person, you've asked the question or you will ask the question, whether you're just itty-bitty little or you are in your elder years, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Another way of asking it. Who am I? Does this include me? 
Is there something more going on here? Do I have a role in this earth? What is my purpose? And I want to give you a framework for today's sermon, kind of just the the gist of the outline so that you can flow a little bit easier as we walk through this um, deep and and theological and philosophical question that so many humans have tried to wrestle with for centuries and centuries so that you're able to apply what we talk about to the scripture that we're going to read. And I'm going to walk us through actually the ideas and the concepts of the message of the first half of uh, the sermon. And then the second half, we're going to apply those ideas and concepts, and we're going to see how they come to life through all of John 21. And so rather than starting with the scripture and breaking it down verse by verse, we're going to start with the ideas because I want you to have the vocabulary to apply them that and see how it comes to life through John 21, through the 24, 25 verses uh, that John records, the final chapter of Jesus' life prior to ascending to heaven. But we're going to start off just right off the bat, walking through this question, what is my purpose? Like I said, it's a question that so many people walk through, wrestle with, ask. And I actually just finished reading a book um, last night called Man's Search for Meaning. And it's written by a philosopher, um, an individual who did, who, who did therapy, who was a therapist, and he ended up passing away in the late 90s. But he's a survivor of the Holocaust— I survived four different concentration camps, including Auschwitz. And two years after being liberated, he ends up writing this novel called Man's Search for Meeting. And the first half of the, um, the, first half of, it, of the book is just his entire journey through the different Holocaust uh, concentration camps. And then the second half is wrestling with the question of how do we approach life? What is the meaning? And this is an old study, an older study, but he quotes back in the 1940s when John Hopkins University was walking through this question of what is my purpose. They actually surveyed um, 8,000 students, 8,000 students, 16% of which said that the first thing they're going to do out of college, out of university, out of education is make money. 80% of people that they surveyed said the first thing they're going to do out of college is find their meaning in life. Find their meaning of life. Now again, that was 70 years ago, but in 2021, the same questions were Googled. One million people every single month Googled the question, who am I in 2021? 5,000 people every single month Googled the exact question, what is my purpose? So this is a question that has been going on for decades and decades and decades. This sense of identity, this sense of purpose, this sense of meaning, because there has to be something more to this life. That's the question that we continue to wrestle with. And today I'm going to walk us through exactly what the answer to that is. And I'm not going to tease it throughout the message and then give you the, the, the climax right at the end of this is your purpose. We're actually going to start with it. Okay? Because if you are in Christ, your purpose is not unique. And that might sound a little bit offensive at first, but like I said, we're going to give you the framework and the knowledge, and then we're going to expand on it throughout the scriptures. So if you're a note taker, uh, jot this down, whether you're um, here in person or online. Answer to the question, the bold answer that so many of us just skim over so easily as Christ followers. If you are in Christ, like we said, you're a new creation. Here's the answer to the question, what is my purpose? Three things, okay? Love God. Love people. 
And then the third part that we get so wrong so often and what really messes us up, use your life to glorify God. This is why you were created. This is why you were created. And here's why so many of us can't associate our purpose with this why. And it's actually something I talked about a year ago when we kicked off 2021 with our New Year series. We talked about live on purpose. And I shared the idea that our purpose is not found in what we do, but why we do what we do. Okay? This is the why. You were created to love God, love people, with, which has so much depth when you actually dive deep into what those two things mean. And then the third part is what we get tripped up on. Use your life to glorify God. Because that has so many different subpoints. Subpoint A, you can use your spiritual gifts. Subpoint B, you can use any gifts, any talents, any passions. You can use whatever it might be. You can be kind to people. Subpoint C, be generous to serve. There's so many different subpoints, and the list goes on and on and on. Use your life to glorify Jesus, to glorify God. If you are in Christ. Now, here's the thing that you have to recognize, okay? This is the purpose that you have if you are in Christ. I can't answer the question, what is my purpose in life outside of the kingdom of God? Frankly, personally, because I don't care about my purpose outside of God, okay? And so if you're spending your entire life trying to figure out why you're here outside of serving Jesus, or if you don't believe in Jesus, or if you don't want to walk with Jesus, okay? I can't help you in that area. But what I will say is if you spend some time deeply interested in this concept of purpose and you allow Jesus to work in your life in those areas, it will be revolutionary for your walk and it will be so worthwhile. And so if you don't have Jesus, you're missing out. And it is so cool and it will change your life. Now, I answered the question, what is my purpose? Love God, love people, and spend your entire life glorifying God, okay? For the rest of the message, we're going to spend actually just walking through just that last subpoint. Spend your life glorifying God. Because that is where individuals get tripped up a lot. That is where individuals get tripped up and walk through. They're like, okay, well, why specifically was I created? If every individual, every human was created with the overarching uh, purpose to love God, love people, and to glorify God's kingdom. Why am I here? What is my duty? What is my calling? And that's another word that we're going to define here. You see, these are two questions that Christ followers, even if they don't know they're asking, are really asking. What is my purpose? Why am I here? And then what is my calling? What was I created to do? You see, the first half of what we talked about was the why to the what. Why you were created. To love God, love people, glorify Jesus. Okay? The second half of this important concept is the what. And that's what so many people get tripped up on. Because they attempt to find their purpose in their what they're doing, rather than why and who they're doing it for. And so when they start struggling in a career— they leave their career thinking that another career will fulfill them. Or when they start struggling in a relationship, they leave their relationship thinking another relationship will fulfill them. Or when they start struggling in a temptation or an addiction, so often they go back to a temptation or an addiction or they lean into their temptation or addiction to have that momentarily 
momentary pleasure that will fulfill them. They try to find purpose in their what. So this entire concept that we talked about for our Live on Purpose series. But here's the deal. You're never going to be fulfilled by your what. Okay? See, here is what your calling is. Now we're going to define calling. Your calling, okay, um, and it's this idea that your purpose, sorry, let me backtrack in. Your purpose is not unique to Christ followers, okay? We, we shared that, okay? Every Christ follower is created to love God, love people, and to glorify God. And so if you don't love God and you don't love people, you're going to struggle a little bit, okay? I'm on the loving people aspect of that kind of trend of struggling a little bit, but work with me, okay? The second half of then is this. But the way you pursue your purpose— the way you love God, the way you love people, the way you glorify God through your purpose, that's what's unique to you. And that's your calling. Why you specifically were created. What task you specifically were created to do. Now, this is a concept that actually differs from theologians, from pastors, from authors, from ph philosophers, from individuals who, uh, who strive to define purpose and strive to define calling, will argue with, can your calling change? If God has called you to do something, are you set there for life? I personally think that your calling can change, okay? I personally believe that God calls you to different seasons, to different ministries, to different areas, to different careers, to different jobs in some areas, and then that can change over time. It's the concept of what happens when you retire. Do you lose your calling altogether? No. I believe God then calls you into a different area of life. Well, what happens if you are leaving one position at work? Or what happens if your spouse or your loved one or family member passes away? Or what happens in A, B, C, or D? You don't lose your calling. You don't necessarily lose your purpose either because your purpose is universal. Love God, love people, glorify Jesus. Your calling, which is unique to you, I believe, can change based on the season of life that you are in. Now, here's why this is all so important. You're, you're sitting there, you're thinking, you're like, okay, my purpose is this. My calling is that, Okay. If we're going to live our life glorifying God, it is so important that we recognize that we are not fulfilled by our calling. When we are trying to become fulfilled by our calling, it becomes idolatry. When we are becoming defined by what we do, whether that's a career, whether that's a relationship, whether that is a role in society, whether that is A-B, you fill in the blanks. It leads to idolatry and disappointment. You can only be fulfilled by Jesus. And that sounds so Christianese, but that's why we're here. It's so true. And this has revolutionized my life. When I've stopped finding my value as a person, as a pastor, and started finding my value as a Christ follower, as his son, I've found so much more joy. But here's the reality. You were created for a specific task. You might not find value in that specific task. But when you do, and you associate that value to that of Jesus, it'll blow your mind. 
And it's when we look at all these mundane tasks of being a janitor or a bus driver or um, uh, an engineer or an accountant or someone who just uh, stays at home as a parent or maybe is working from home for the rest of their life. We start putting all of these that we call mundane tasks and then we start putting them in one category and then all of these, the president, the governor, all of these things that look so mighty and huge and whatnot. We associate those callings to have greater value. The reality is that's not how God works. It's not how God works. There's no like stepping ladder of, okay, I've completed the itty bitty calling. Now I'm going to move up a level. I'm not leveling up like in Mario, okay? You have this situation where every single thing you do can have value because the value doesn't come in the what you're doing. The value comes in the why you're doing what you're doing. So as an individual, it is of the utmost importance that you intentionally live out why God has created you. And so then you might be sitting there asking, okay, well, why was I created? That's the question again. Okay, okay, I get it. The purpose is there. That's something you're going to have to figure out. Some ways you can figure it out. Spending time in prayer. Here we go again, talking about prayer. Yes, prayer every day. Spending time in the word of God. Here we go again, reading the Bible. Yes, every day. Spending time studying your personality through personality tests, through counseling, through meditation, through walking with different Christ followers and having them expose you to different um, uh, understandings of how you're wired, okay? All of that can help you find your gifts, your talents, your passions, things you enjoy doing and things that you're good at. And then when you find those things, give them the why. Live into them for God's glory intentionally spend time doing that which you love and were created to do. Sometimes when we hear the word calling, we think it has to be something huge and big. But the reality is you are here today. This moment is all you have guaranteed. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Make the most out of today with this new purpose that you were given. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation Live into today. This past Tuesday, I was refing a basketball game uh, for um, a friend of ours here at Crossbridge at uh, her elementary school. It was fifth grade, for the fifth grade boys' basketball. Okay? And as I was refing this basketball game, there was one kid who was about a foot taller than everybody else on the floor. Okay? And you could tell he had one job be a foot taller than everyone else on the floor. Okay? He was by far the tallest. He was taller than me. Now, that's not saying a lot, especially considering he was a fourth grader, but, poor Jordan, but, okay, he had one job. Every single time he touched the basketball, he grabbed it and immediately threw it up, unintentionally, without any clue where that basketball was going. And the coaches became so enraged with him because he's literally just standing under the hoop has the basketball, and without even looking, just throws it up and missed every shot but one. Because sometimes Jesus gives us like a little bit like a, a what, are, what, are those, what are those called? A, well, yes, a confidence boost, but you know, it's kind of like, like a, a participation. You know, Jesus like, you know, you did your best. C for effort, okay? That was this kid. And I was sitting there as I was reffing, and his coaches were getting so mad because he wasn't intentionally using that which he was possessed with. 
And I have to imagine Jesus gets the same way with us. You're not just a janitor. You're God's janitor. You're not just a stay-at-home parent. You're God's stay-at-home parent. You're not just a teacher. You're God's teacher. You're not just a musician. You're God's musician. You're not just an accountant. You're God's accountant. You're not just an engineer. You're God's engineer. You're not just a construction worker. You're God's construction worker. And when you apply your overall purpose into what you're doing each and every day, lives will be changed. Lives will be changed. It's why Solomon, when he is uh, writing Ecclesiastes, it's kind of the, the, actually the understanding that he's come to in life is that everything in life outside of Jesus is meaningless. If you read Ecclesiastes while you're sad, you're just going to get more sad. <laughs> because every single chapter is, it is just meaningless like that of the wind. It is just meaningless like that of the area of what I'm doing. And Solomon wants us to understand that everything outside of glorifying God, loving God, and loving people, if you're trying to be fulfilled outside of those three areas and what you're doing by things of the world, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. Okay, so just a recap for our foundation, because now we're—or sorry, our, our, our roadmap, because we're going to take that roadmap. We're going to walk through John 21. What is my purpose? If you are in Christ, your purpose is to love God, love people, and glorify Jesus. Those three things. Love God, love people, glorify Jesus. What is my calling? Your calling is what you do with that purpose. That is what makes you specifically unique for the task which you were delivered to do. Don't overthink your calling. Don't spend your life dwelling and depressed with what you think God created you to do. It is stinking awesome while you're here. So incredible. Only you can do that which you were born to do. So make the most of it. And then the third part, okay, if you're taking notes, be intentional. Be intentional. What is my purpose? What is my calling? And all of those two things, be intentional. All right. Turn with me to John chapter 21. That's how we're going to end the message the last 10 minutes. We're going to just walk through uh, my favorite chapter of the Bible for the week. It's John chapter 21. Um, I spent this entire week just really praying over and studying this chapter, and it blew my mind how every single point we just walked through deeply applies to the last thing that Jesus leaves his disciples here on earth before he ascends to heaven, uh, one of the last conversations that he has with them on the beach. And so John is writing this, um, this conversation, this interaction between Jesus and just a few of the disciples. I believe there's five or six of them that are there um, and whatnot. And so this is after Jesus has been crucified. This is after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And after Jesus has already appeared to the disciples twice— so this is the third and final time that Jesus is appearing to his disciples, and it is here on a beach. So this is what John writes in John chapter 21. We're going to read the first 14 verses, break it down. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, excuse me. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Verse 7, then the, disciples who, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. Not sure why he had taken it off, but he did. And jumped into the water. Verse 8, the other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards, which is about 90 meters um, from this specific Greek text. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish already on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 150 free, 50 free, 50 free, 53. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Highlight that phrase right there if you're taking notes. The net was not torn. It's going to be important here in a second. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I want to stop there. We're going to break it down. Just give a, a few um, central things that, that point out. You see, if you didn't notice, okay, and, or if you weren't aware, Simon and a few of the others, James and John, okay, a few of the other disciples were fishermen prior to their encounter with Jesus. Okay, prior to their encounter with Jesus. We actually see that when they are called to become disciples in Luke chapter 5, it's almost an identical story that we see here in John 21. Jesus tells these few disciples to go out into a boat to catch their fish and even tells them to put the net on the right side of the boat. And I made the joke when I taught on this a few years ago that the entire time they were putting their net on the wrong side of the boat. All they had to do was switch it to the right side of the boat. And no one laughed then, so I figured I'd just, you know, have the joke inside for myself and laughing. I think that's pretty funny. But anyway... They're catching all these fish. In the same story, um, just a different time period, when Jesus is calling them, and they catch the fish, their nets began to break. Okay? Their nets began to break. This time, as they go back out, okay, their nets were not torn. That's going to be important here in a second, but hold that thought in your head, okay? Here's what's so significant, though. After their encounter with Jesus, after Jesus dies, what do the disciples do? they immediately went back to fishing. And that happens so often for us in our lives. After we get off our spiritual high with Jesus, or after our significant momentum in our relationship, or after our career is at its, you know, its highest peak, and then we start to decline, and we start to ask the question, why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my calling? And we so often backtrack. We so often go backwards to what is comfortable, to what is normal, to what is mundane, to what is not that of Jesus. And that's the same trap that the disciples ran into. So if you're ever feeling bad about yourself, just know the people who literally broke bed, bread with Jesus messed up all the same. Okay, back to the story. They go into the boat, and after their encounter with Jesus, I love this imagery that this time their nets do not break. 
their nets are not torn. They catch a large number of fish and their foundation was set. They knew it was the Lord. They knew it was Jesus. After their encounter, their nets not break. That's just a bonus. There's nothing relevant to the message. It's just, it, it excites me as I see that. So then they, they flood the shore. Okay, they run back to Jesus to have this last conversation with him. Okay, and this is where our purpose, our calling, and everything is applied to the text. Find me in verse 15. Here we go. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You see, the first thing Jesus wants to know for Peter is do you know your purpose? Do you love me? Okay, remember our purpose, love God, love people, glorify Jesus. Before Jesus gives him his calling, he says, if you are in me, you have to get this part right. Do you love me? And Peter says this, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16 again said, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This is of the utmost importance, Peter. I want to make sure you don't go back to fishing. I want to make sure you don't go back to that which you experienced and did before you experienced Jesus. Okay, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of God, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I want to stop there. You see, Jesus first wants to make sure that Peter knows his purpose. Love God, love people, glorify Jesus. Then he gives him his calling, feed my sheep. This is why you were created. And we know that Peter goes on to plant churches and to make disciples and to share the gospel, the good news, to feed and to take care of Jesus's sheep. It's also something to just note he asks Peter this question three times, which directly parallels the three times just a few chapters prior that Peter denied knowing Jesus in the temple courts when Jesus was being crucified. It's a direct parallel. And so then Jesus goes on. He says this in verse uh, 18. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. He wanted to make sure he knew his purpose. Then he gives him his calling. Here's how I want to close today. I want to close with these last five verses because this is where so many of us get tripped up is we start comparing our calling to that of others. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Verse 21. When Peter saw him, he asked Lord, and then highlight these three words, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Highlight those four words. You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple will not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Last two verses. This is the disciple who we now know as John, who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. 
We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Here's how we're closing today. You see, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your purpose is not unique. Love God, love people, glorify Jesus. But why you were created is so special. So don't compare your calling to that of others. That is uniquely and wonderfully made for you to fulfill. And then as you accomplish that, find, else what God, find out what else God has in store for you. But when we start comparing ourselves to other Christ followers, or the dangerous part, other humans who aren't in Christ, look how much money they have, look, how, look at their job title, look at their marriage, look at their relationship, look where they live, look what they do, look how many kids they have, look at this, A, B, C, and D, look at them fulfilling their life of singleness and, you know, partying all the time, having a great time, or being able to spend so much time in service and in wondrous things. Stop it. You weren't created to do what I was created to do. I wasn't created to do what you were created to do. But each one of us was fearfully and wonderfully made to love God, love people, and glorify Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for our purpose. Thank you so much for our calling. And thank you so much for the opportunity to intentionally apply both of those two things to our lives. I love that last conversation that you have with Peter at the end on the beach where you've met him back to what he was doing prior to meeting you. And you challenged him to first and foremost know who he loves, know why he loves. Second, what he is going to be doing to feed your sheep. And third, to not compare his calling to that of John, but to compare his calling to that of you. Thank you, God, for these words. I pray over everyone listening that they would apply these to their lives and find joy in you alone and fulfillment in you alone. In your name I pray, amen.